is now calling us to share with others. And I'm asking you today, are you willing? Am I willing? Somehow, we believe that reaching out to the lost is just for the chosen few, for pastors, ministers, and teachers. We just stand by watching, staying silent, listening in the pews, shrug it off as if it's not my responsibility. They say God created us so we could share this story of love, acceptance, of, of salvation. What's keeping us from sharing it? What, what's keeping me from sharing it? I think now is time to act, to say, I am willing. I am willing. <laughs> A simple three-word declaration that's easy to say, but hard to live out. See, see, willingness, it takes faith. Even when we don't feel brave, equipped, or ready, willingness is reaching out to our one, to reach out to our friend, to our neighbor, to my family member. We are equipped and made for this. Christ died for us to share this story. God has prepared us for a time like this. Are you willing? Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sugar Creek this morning. Glad to see you all in the room. It's great to be here at the Sugarland campus. And I also want to welcome all of you watching while the stream is going across the world and you're in your homes or at your, one of our campuses. Welcome to Sugar Creek. My name is Tim Homa, and I'm the campus pastor over at our Sugar, <laughs> see that? At our Richmond Rosenberg campus. I almost said Sugarland, like you're like, you never see me that much. But it's great to be here with all of you today and to have you in the room and online as well. I do have a little bit of sad news to start off this morning. Um, we were made aware that uh, Pastor Mark and his family experienced a loss this week. Kathy's mom suffered a stroke last Sunday morning and Kathy left right after service and she flew to her hometown where her parents are in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And uh, Tony Manning, Kathy's mom, suffered a stroke and was in intensive care all week. And yesterday, um, her life ended and she began her new life in heaven. And Pastor left this morning to go to Oklahoma to be with his family. So if we could, could we pray for them right now before we begin this morning? That'd be great. Thank you. Join me in prayer. God, we want to lift up Pastor Mark and Kathy and all their family today as they grieve the loss of a grandmother, a wife, a mom, a friend. Lord, we know when we lose someone so dear to us, it, it brings us to a place of grief and sadness and sorrow. But Lord, today we also celebrate that Tony is pain-free, it is in heaven with you. And though we pray right now through the shock of this is just happening this past week, we also wanna lift up Tony's husband, Bill, to you, Kathy's dad, as he begins his life without his soulmate, without his partner, without his wife. We pray that in these next days and weeks that he will remember and cherish all that they had in their life. And we pray, Lord, today that as he begins the grieving process, he will also celebrate with all of us knowing that his wife's in heaven. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who makes it possible for, to be, to, for us to be in heaven one day with you. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. Well, we are in the middle of a three-week series called Who's Your One? Pastor Mark did a great job last week challenging all of us 
to begin thinking about who is it in our life that does not know Jesus. And he challenged us to begin investing into their life and begin inviting them to our church on September 12th. September 12th is the big day where we're gonna have the Fam Fest. It's the grand opening for Richmond Rosenberg Campus. There's a lot going on that day, but primarily the focus will be on reaching our one, having an opportunity for them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning I would like to start off with a question. Who is it in your life that you know that if their life ended today, they would spend eternity apart from God? It's a simple question. However, it's not a comfortable question. None of us want to have the responsibility for other people's eternity, do we? None of us do. But God has placed specific people in your life for the purpose of you sharing your faith with them. Nobody is better equipped than you to share your faith with people in your life because of the relationship you've built with them, the history you have with them, and the trust you have built with them over time. Nobody is in a better position than you to share your faith. Because sharing our faith is part of the journey in our walk with God. That is what God has called us to. It's simply the purpose behind why we live as we do as Christians. Each and every day, each and every way that we have been given to share our faith. That is our responsibility. No matter if you've been a Christian for a hundred years, hundred years, or just recently became a Christian, or somewhere in between, Helping others come to Jesus is part of our faith journey. It's something that we do on a regular basis. And today we're gonna to look at a story of Jesus where he lays out that purpose for his disciples, but he also lays it out for us as well. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we are gonna look at Luke chapter five. It's a very familiar story, but I think you're gonna look at it from a different perspective this morning and it's gonna have a different effect on you in your walk with Jesus. At this time now, it's been about a year since Jesus has been baptized, and he has made his way down to Capernaum. He's about 31 years old, so he's just starting into his ministry years, and he loved to speak in Capernaum, the city of Capernaum, and it was right near the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is a small little freshwater lake, but it was very beautiful um, from its surroundings. They had sloping hills to the north, um, out the fields that went wide to the, to the south. It was just a beautiful place. And Jesus often spoke there, and he often performed miracles there. And we find Jesus here at this very place where he meets up with a mass amount of people and four fishermen. So the main idea that I want you to hear this morning is this. This is what I want you to understand about this passage that we're going to look at. God desires to, meet, to make each of us fishers of people. God desires to make each of us fishers of people. So let's listen to what Luke, one of Jesus' disciples, tell us about this story, beginning in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gassaneret, which is the Greek term for Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the, river, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
The story begins with a mass amount of people at Capernaum. They're by the sloping hills. They're pushing in closer. They're getting closer and closer to Jesus. Why? Because they love to hear God's word. They love to hear Jesus speak about God's word, and they've got to get their ear there. They've got to keep getting closer. They want to hear every word Jesus says because people of all ages, of every generation, love to hear God's word. And they get hungry and desire to know more of God's word. And imagine hearing it from the mouth of Jesus right there in person. So they pressed in closer. They backed him up to the water's edge and Jesus goes, I'm, I'm about to go in for a swim here, time out. So he looks down the water edge to the shoreline and he sees two boats. He sees two boats with two sets of fishermen. The fishermen were Peter and Andrew, James and John. We're familiar with these guys. And they're getting their nets ready, they're cleaning them up, they're washing them for the next night of fishing. They had been out the previous night, they caught absolutely nothing, so they're wrapping up and getting ready to call it a day and go get some rest before they fish in the night. So Jesus asked Simon Peter if he could use his boat as a speaking platform. Now Peter wasn't a stranger to Jesus. Now it may, you may read like they just met for the first time, but in all Reality, Jesus and Peter had two encounters prior to this. The first time is when Andrew finds out who Jesus is. He runs all the way home. He busts through the door. He goes, Simon, 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 we found him. We found the Messiah. So he grabs Simon. They run down. And Simon meets this remarkable man named Jesus. And that's where Jesus says, you're no longer Simon. You're Peter. Gives him his new name. The Rock. You're Peter the Rock. The next time they meet, is when Peter invites Jesus into his home because his mother-in-law is really sick. And Jesus supernaturally heals Peter's mother-in-law. But this moment in the boat, in this platform, where he is speaking to this crowd, this is not a moment for the crowd necessarily. This is a moment for Peter. This is about to take a deeper level of commitment. It's gonna take a turn to bring about more of an involvement of Peter in his life. The appearance at the lake that day was for the purpose of about bringing a life change, a new motivation, a new purpose on part of Peter and his companions. Jesus would momentarily use the boat as a pulpit, but he was, on t he was intent on making fishermen into fishers of men that day. So when Jesus asked for the ability to jump into Peter's boat, Peter had no hesitation. He knew Jesus. Sure, hop in, come on in. I mean, why wouldn't Peter want that? It's a special moment for Peter. If you know anything about Peter, you know how confident he is. You know how arrogant he could be. You know how cocky he could be. He was all about this moment. Why? Jesus, the man that everybody's coming to see, is sitting next to him in his boat. He's like, you're in my boat. I'm in charge. Jesus the man is in my boat. He's oblivious to what Jesus is saying. All he can say is, Jesus, in my boat, look at me. I got, them. I got him right here. It may have been that the only one not paying attention to what Jesus was doing that moment was Peter. So after the lesson that Jesus gives to the mass, he has a special lesson for Peter. He turns to Peter and he says, okay, let's go fishing. I got this favorite spot of mine. We're gonna go out there and I'm gonna ask you to drop your nets down there. It's all gonna be good. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a preacher. He was not a fisherman. This wasn't his area of expertise. And that was obvious to Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, 
You gotta understand, no one catches fish during the daytime. No one throws shallow nets in the deep water and catches fish. He's kind of like saying, teacher, we worked hard all night in the best fishing time and caught nothing. In other words, Rabbi, you stick to teaching, we'll stick to fishing. But it must have been the look in Jesus' eyes that kind of changed conversation right in mid-sentence. Look what it says in verse five. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. (laughs) But because, I see that look in your eye, Jesus, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled their partners in the other boat, James and John, come on over, come on, we need your help. They came in, they filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. Jesus is talking, then he goes, he looks at Jesus like, nevertheless, if you want me to do this, I'll let down the nets. Was this an expression of Peter's faith? I think so. It's like, okay, I see something in this guy. He lowered the nets and their boat is overwhelmed with fish. The biggest catch of their lives. They had to yell for help. The other guys come in, they just gotta be like, like we fished all night and now we're finally catching fish in broad daylight, in deep water, with shallow nets, are you kidding me? Notice the miracle. Jesus initiated it. Peter, lower your nets. Peter responded. See, Jesus provided the miracle. Provided that miracle right then and there, and he gave them more than they could handle. Miracles happen, but why do miracles happen? What is behind a miracle that helps us draw so close to God because of what we just experienced? Why does God allow the problem? Let us pray for deliverance, and then, in his own way, respond to our need. Why? Well, here's what I think. God God wants to show us his power so he can use us to reach others. God wants to show us his power so he can use us to reach the one, those people who don't know his son Jesus. This past June, a good friend of mine's daughter had their second child. They live in, her and her husband live in Dallas and they had a baby girl and they named her after their favorite love, of Colorado, they named her Breckenridge is the girl's name. They call her Breck for short. One month later in July, Breck came down with a cold. And at first, the mom who has already had a, who has a three-year-old didn't think anything of it, it was just the sniffles. The next day it got worse. And so they decided to call the pediatrician. The pediatrician said, we're so overwhelmed right now, so busy, your best, the best thing you can do is go to the ER. So they took to the ER, and they thought what would be maybe a couple hours, some medication to help, ended up being a three-day stay. When they got there, they diagnosed baby Breck with bronchitis and that respiratory virus they call RSV on top of the cold that she had, and they placed her in the pediatric ICU for those three days. After those three days, they released her. They said that Breck was better, and they brought Breck home, but, but Breck just still was a little lethargic, She still was struggling for air. Her numbers, her blood oxygen level was a little off. She wasn't eating. The the ER said, call your pediatrician on Friday just to check in. So on Friday they called and the pediatrician said, you know what, that's just normal. She's recovering. She'll start to eat soon. Well, on Saturday morning, when they woke up, Breck was bluish in color and they knew something was wrong. And they immediately went to the ER. When they got there, the paramedics were at the ER and came out to get 
Breck, and at that moment, Breck coded. And if you know what that means, or if you don't know what that means, that means her heart stopped. And they revived her, and then she coded again for a little longer this time. And they fought and fought and fought, and they were able to revive her, but now there was fear. There was fear of the damage that had been done from her coding twice. Here, here's uh, an image of her when she was in the house, a month, little month old Breck. I had been staying in contact with the family every single day and I felt like I needed to do something. And so I decided to use my social media platform to reach out to others to ask for help. Usually I'm the one on social media asking to pray for people and I decided I was going to ask for them to pray. And at one point I had over a thousand people praying for what we called hashtag Team Breck. People continued to pray on a regular basis. Now, because of all that was going on in the coding, there was fear of brain damage. There was fear of lung being underdeveloped. There was fear that little baby Breck would never be, uh, be at a normal level of development. There were a lot of fears, and we just continued to pray every single day. And she was in that hospital 11 days. On day 10, we got word that things started to change and start, she started to be weaned off the oxygen and that she was starting to respond to the medication they were giving. She developed a blood clot and she still has that blood clot today. They did an MRI in her brain, it came back perfect. Her lungs were developing. And here's a more recent picture of her now. Yeah, pretty cool. But see, that's not necessarily the miracle. My friend's daughter and son-in-law, while they had 11 days in the hospital, began to share about their love for Jesus and their trust in God in this moment for their daughter with the doctors and the nurses. People who undoubtedly didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And they began to share their love for God and their trust in God. And they began to pray with the paramedics. They began to pray with the doctors and the nurses. They established relationships. They used this situation for God's glory to bring about life change in other people. Because God uses his power so that he can use us, shows us his, his power so he can use us to reach other people. If God is capable of healing a broken bottle, body, he is capable of using us to save a soul. You know, as soon as the bonanza of fish hit Peter's boat, do you know what he does? We would think he was gonna celebrate, but look what he does in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He has all this fish in the boat. He's probably sitting on fish. He probably has fish stuffed on his shirt. He's got it underneath his hat. He's got fish everywhere. But the strange thing happens. Suddenly he cannot see fish anymore. All he sees is Jesus. The miracle did the opposite of what we would have expected. We would expect him saying, I'm rich. This is what I've lived for. This is what I've prayed for. This is what I've wanted all my life. Man, I've hit it. I've hit the lottery. But instead, Peter's humbled to repentance and praise. Why? Why did catching fish bring a conviction of sin? See, the miracle that Jesus did that day was to validate his power over every aspect of life and inspire us, inspire us to trust him as he calls us to follow him in the greater purpose of reaching people for eternity. It's even more shocking that Jesus took the area of fishing. This was 
Peter's and his buddy's area of expertise. And Jesus showed them, I'm in charge of everything. You see, it doesn't matter what area that you're an expert in. Jesus says we need to surrender it so that he can use us to reach others for the kingdom. Whether you're a businessman or a businesswoman, a housewife, a stay-at-home dad, whether you're a doctor, whether you're an athlete, whatever area of profession that you are very good at, maybe you're even an expert in, Jesus wants us to surrender that to him so that he can give us a greater purpose, which is to reach the one. The miracle had allowed Peter to see who was in the boat with him, not what was in the boat. Peter had seen Jesus as a good teacher, prophet, a great man, but suddenly he sees him as the holy God, and it shook him to the core. When he saw Jesus, suddenly he saw his own sinfulness, and he said, Jesus, I don't deserve for you to be in my boat. Do you know who I am? I don't deserve this moment. Job had a similar reaction to God in the Old Testament. Isaiah, when he encountered God in Isaiah 6, says, I am a man of unclean lips amongst people of unclean lips. By giving Peter the miracle of fish, Peter's eyes were open to look at God, not fish. That was Jesus' purpose. The miracle focused Peter's heart from fishing for himself to fishing for God. And then in verse 10, it says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, guys. Simon, you and your buddies, from now on, you're gonna catch men and women. You're gonna reach people. That you're gonna be fishers of people. See, God had it in his mind to change Peter's motivation and his focus for life. All of Peter's life had been about fishing for himself. He went on fishing for the sole reason to make a living for his family. All of his goals and plans and efforts were to satisfy himself. But the miracle changed Peter's purpose from fishing for himself to fishing for God. The purpose of the miracle was to change Peter's perspective, his purpose and his motivation. I have talked with people who have had life-threatening situations occur to them, near-death experiences, and almost every single one of them have said the same thing. I now look at life differently. I've had a miracle in my life. What was, what, is, what was important to me now is no longer important. What was on the back burner is now center stage. I have a different outlook on life. Jesus said, Peter, I want to change how you approach your occupation. I want to make you a fisher of men. Some of you right now, you're struggling with your careers. You're at a point of burnout. Or maybe you just are in a routine that is just ho-hum. You wake up every morning doing the same thing over and over. You sit in the same place at the kitchen table. You have the same coffee mug that you use. You drink the same coffee the same way. You get in the car. You drive the same way to work. You sit at the same desk. or You do the same job over and over and over mechanically like a robot every single day. Some of you are to the point of like, I can't believe this is going to be the rest of my life. What if I challenge you this morning to look at your job differently today? What if I asked you to look at your job as a platform for fishing for men, fishing for women? I don't mean grabbing your client, your coworker, your boss by their throat and saying, with the Bible in your hand, let me tell you about Jesus. But what if you lovingly, carefully, thoughtfully used your position as a platform for Jesus? 
It will change your view of your job. It will change your view of life forever. Jesus wants to change our motivation for doing what we do. The activity may not change, but the motivation does. You got a crazy neighbor that every time you have a conversation with them, it ends up with some type of debate. You got a family member that you're estranged with or that you fight with on a regular basis, and every time you get together, your blood boils and it's just an ugly situation. Is there a situation that's overwhelming you right now that involves people that's just dragging you down? God has called you to a higher purpose. What if you changed the way you looked at that situation? What if you changed your purpose, your motivation? And what if you became a fisher of men in those situations and in those relationships? Because Jesus calls us to a higher purpose in life, which is the fish for others. And that's what he did with Peter and his buddies. Look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. The biggest catch of Peter's life and he walks away from it to say yes to Jesus. So many of us can say yes. Yeah, I want that same motivation. I want that same purpose. But how do I do that? I don't know how to do it. You heard in the video, some of us believe that it's the pastor's job to share the gospel, to share the good news about Jesus Christ. That you don't feel adequate, you don't feel trained, you don't feel like you know enough of scripture. Let me just share with you as we wrap up this morning some ways that we can do that. And the, the first one is the easiest. It just starts with prayer. Pray for God to give you the right words. Pray for God to give you the right situation. Pray for God to put you in the right position to say and live the way that God wants you to live. Fishing is simply, sometimes just casting the line out there. You gotta put the line in the water to catch the fish. You gotta be available. You gotta be ready. And the second way to do that, is, and this is a, diff, a little bit different principle, you start where they are and you build a bridge to Jesus. You have some friends right now, some people in your life that are at a crossroad. Some are going through some deep sorrow. Some are in some struggling relationships. And that's your starting point with them. And in your conversation and in your care for them, as you thoughtfully and carefully and lovingly talk to them, you can share with them that Jesus would meet them right where they're at, right in the midst of their circumstances. He will be there for them. He will guide them. He will be their rock in the midst of uncertainty. Start right where they are and build a bridge to Jesus. And then finally, be ready to tell the story of the gospel. Now, I learned that lesson a hard way, very hard way when I was 22 years old. I was part of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is a parachurch organization in the college universities around the country. And I was invited to be a part of a leadership training um, during the summer between my junior and my senior year in college. It was 11 weeks and I was with 65 other college students. And we were all given assignments while we were there. My assignment was to lead four of the college guys in a Bible study. So every week I gathered with those four guys and we did a Bible study and that was my responsibility. But another part of my responsibility was to take one of those guys in the evening down to the boardwalk near the ocean and walk up and down the boardwalk looking for the opportunity to share Jesus with anybody that, we, that God led us to. Campus Crusade for Christ provided a track for us. Many of you, all of you were given a track when you walked in this morning. Tracks that we use here at Sugar Creek. Campus Crusade had a different version of that. But he, we had that, and that's what we, you would use. And this one night, this guy that I'm with, one of my students, um, was gonna be the one reading 
the track and sharing Jesus. Now, in my mind at 22, I'm thinking, okay, present it with such flair. I want bells and whistles. I want it to be dramatic. Build that story. I want them to go, yes, I need Jesus. I want you to really sell that home. I want to hear angels going, oh, right behind you the whole time you're sharing the message. So we got up there and we walked up to these two young men and the guy with me, this college age student, says, hey, can we share something with you? And they're like, sure. He pulls out the track. He looks down at the track and proceeds to word, read word for word, never making eye contact. No inflection in his voice. Monotone. Page one. Page two. You know, reading through it. I'm, I wanted the album. and go, dude, come, bring the energy. Come on, build this thing. Lights, fireworks. Come on. And I'm thinking these guys are going to walk away going, who are those idiots? He gets done and he looks up at him for the first time and he goes, do you guys want to surrender your lives to Jesus and accept him as your personal Lord and Savior? Their eyes widen and they're like, yes. (laughs) We prayed with those young men. They accepted Jesus. They got plugged into the local church. And here's what I learned from that. I had this idea of how you had to present the gospel. It wasn't that at all. It was about being available. You see, when you face the things in your life that God wants you to face, we sometimes think we have to be awesome in order for God to use us, but God wants to use us to make us awesome. You being awesome was gonna come from his power within you. The question is not are you able, the question is are you available? And many of us are afraid to say we're available because we don't think we know enough. That young college student didn't know enough, but he was available. And God used him to rescue two souls bound for hell. He was available. Some of us have got to stop making excuses that we're, we don't know enough. Some of us got to stop using our family, our background, our our qualifications as reasons not to share our faith. Instead, we need to start saying, God, would you use me? Would you do a work in me? If I'm available, will you just use me? Guys, I admit it, I'm not the best speaker in the world. I get that, and I don't want you to, that's not a look for something. I get that, I, but I love it. I mean, I'm not a living Abraham, man. He can rock it. Pastor Mark, they can bring it. Those guys are amazing. But I have said, God, I am available. Use me. However it sounds, may one person be the one person that you want them to hear something new and exciting that's gonna change their life. And same with you. You don't have to have qualifications. You don't have to have letters in the beginning of your name, at the end of your name. You don't have to have specific, you don't need to have the intense training like I had. God just calls us to be available. He will do the rest. Now, the great thing about our church, we do offer a very beneficial course called the Gospel Conversation Training, and over 1,500 of us at our church have taken that. Some of you even took it yesterday, and we use that simple track that you were given when you walked in today. Pastor Mark's gonna go through that in greater detail next week, but we wanted you to have it this week to look at because you will notice Much like that college-age student who read through his track, that you could read through that track and fully explain the gospel to anyone and everyone when you make yourself 
available. Let me remind you of this, God created everything, okay? It, this world wasn't an accident, it's not a result of a big bang, it is a creation of God for a purpose. 90% of Americans believe that. And this God that we love and follow didn't just create the oceans and the land and the vegetations, he created you and me and he created you and I for a purpose because he is sovereign over all. And though he is great, God desires, he wants to have a relationship with us, a personal relationship with us. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us where we can know him and we can know him through his son, Jesus. And as you share Jesus with others, when you make yourself available, you share in simple terms about the basics of who God is and how God loves us and how we can have a relationship with him through Jesus. And that simply by repenting of our sins, things that we've done that are in contrast to what God wants for our life, we can accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And then we can invite our friends to accept Jesus as their Savior, to surrender their lives to them. But don't ever assume responsibility for their decision. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. We're not to coerce or twist arms. We're just to be available and present his word. So who is it that God is placing on your heart? Who's your one? Maybe this morning you're here and maybe you feel for the first time like you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard about God, you've talked about Jesus in different circles, but you've never made a commitment. This morning you can make that commitment. Today could be the day of salvation for you where you surrender your life, your life to Jesus and you ask him and accept him into your, into your spirit. Maybe today is a day that for some of us, you're saying, you know what, I've walked away from God and today's a day I wanna come back to God. I wanna be in that intimate relationship with God. I want that relationship with God. I need that relationship with him. Today's a day where you come back and say, God, I'm starting again. It's a new day, new opportunity. You know, as you leave here this morning, we have a place called the Next Step Center. People who would love to talk to you about your decision that you're making. You can meet with them about anything, any next step, whether you wanna join a ministry, join the church, be a part of a connect group, serve, need prayer. The Next Step Center is the next step for any area in your walk with Christ. Again, this morning, I will be down here as well. If you would like some prayer or time to just talk, would love to meet with you as well. I always consider it an honor and a privilege that our pastor would consider me worthy to be able to come and speak to you all. So thank you for this this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can come to you and know that you will do a work in us. Lord, for so many of us, we just don't feel capable. We don't feel qualified. We don't feel adequate. And Lord, those are the exact people you want to use. Because to, to us, to you, we are qualified. We want to make ourselves available to you, to be used by you. Lord, would you use us? Would you continue to put those people in our life that need you so that we may build a bridge to them and that out of that bridge, that bridge would lead to a relationship with your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for September 12th where this room would be filled with people who are gonna hear the truth of your son, Jesus, and will respond for eternity. And we pray this in your son's name, amen.